One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One Aslan ring to rule them all. Lion. One the ring to lion. find them. The great lion. The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass. The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass. The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass. Books from Earth, a podcast. Relive your favorite books of fantasy, sci-fi, and apocalyptic stories. Yes, there are lots of spoilers. The spoiling is constant. Yes, there can be adult content. We are adults making content. Spoilers, adult content, books from Earth. Time to relive a favorite book. Welcome to the Books from Earth podcast, episode six, featuring Guards, Guards, the 1989 urban fantasy noir detective comedy by Terry Pratchett. Guards is the eighth Discworld novel and the first City Watch story. For those of you keeping track, how do we begin? There's a ruling dragon, a plotting brethren, a dwarfing carrot with a wooden sword, a bookworming orangutan. This satirical romp through Ankh Morpork had us laughing out loud, gritting our teeth in suspense, and rooting for the underdogs. So dive in and relive Guards, Guards with Episode 6 of Books from Earth. I'm Josh, and I'm joined by my fellow Books from Earth podcasters, Lou. Hi, guys. Maureen. Hey, everybody. And Jack. Hello, friends. First, let's go back and revisit what this book is about. Thanks, Josh. So Guards, Guards is Terry Pratchett's first novel in the Night Watch series, and and he's got this whole universe called the Discworld. And if you are unfamiliar with Pratchett and listening to his podcast, stop the podcast right now. Go pick up Terry Pratchett book and read it and then come back because it's just fabulous. I love Terry Pratchett and his humor. I love the rich world building and the characterization and themes and his deeply, deeply cynical worldview, which is so very prominent in Guards, Guards. Despite all the darkness and flaws of the real world, which are so sharply reflected in the disc world, what I particularly love about Pratchett is that all of his books tend to leave you with a sense of peace and hope. Guards, Guards introduces us to the Night's Watch, Captain Vimes, Sergeant Colon, Knobby Knobs, Carrot, Lady Ramkin. And it's one of the first times we get a really up-close look at the patrician in the Discworld. I have a deep affection for these characters, especially getting to watch them grow through the books that are focused on them. I love the eagle-eye view of the world down to the clever details, and I think Guards, Guards is a particular commentary on the everyman and what makes him tick, whether it's through our main characters or the villains or even, you know, the titular guards, guards. I feel like Pratchett is just winking at me from the page as I read these. Um, and I particularly love the villains in this book, The Brethren. I can't say enough. It's one of the most quotable books I know. And I love how the entire series just builds to both like a punchline and a punch in the gut. And there's always something underneath what I'm reading, whether it's an Easter egg like the name of Dunnykin or Dun Manifestin, or the overarching nods to the fantasy genre and its tropes. I think this book is just brilliant, relatable, funny, and hopeful, and everything I want a book to be. This story was awesome to read. It was so fun. I was even I even reread it and enjoyed and laughed out loud in so many different scenes. What kind of story is this? Is this fantasy? Is it detective? I'm not a I'm not great at picking genre. Maureen, what what kind of book is what kind of genre or book do you think this is? So I would just call this straight like I w- it's a pretty straight fantasy novel. 
but it does use a lot of satire. And I think one of the things that's most effective about the fantasy genre in general is that it can be used to shed light on current situations and current themes of the day. And I think Guards, Guards in particular, like we could absolutely set this in a modern world, but we wouldn't be able to skewer as many as many tropes and as many, you know, aspects of human nature if it wasn't set in the fantasy world. All right. And I, I also enjoyed the detective, the slight detective element that was going on. As the readers, we had the benefit of sort of knowing the answer to the mystery the detectives are trying to detect. And yet I enjoyed watching Vimes and eventually the rest of the guard going through their mythology their methodology, however coarse it was, uh, to, to get to the answer. Great. So I, I'm going to read a favorite passage right here off the beginning. About That takes place in the beginning of the book. It's when Carrot, perhaps our everyman or our hero, not sure what exactly role he plays, his central role, is meeting with his father, or maybe not his father, but his father figure, the dwarf. And, you know, the father's breaking the news to Carrot. That well, carrot. Actually, you're you know you're not a dwarf. And so it starts. What's my own kind then? Said carrot, bewildered. The old dwarf took a deep breath. You're human, he said. What like, Mr. Varneshi? Mr. Varneshi drove an ox cart up the mountain trails once a week to trade things for gold. One of the big people. You're six foot six, lad. He's only five foot. The dwarf twiddled the loose rivet again. You see how it is. Yes, but but maybe I'm just tall for my height, said Carrot desperately. After all, if you can have short humans, can't you have tall dwarfs? His father patted him companionably on the back of his knees. He, you've got to face facts, boy. You'd, you'd be much more at home up on the surface. It's, it's in your blood. The roof isn't so low either. You can't keep knocking yourself out on the sky, he told himself. Hold on, said Carrot, his honest brow wrinkling with the effort of calculation. You're a dwarf, right? And Mam's a dwarf. So I should be a dwarf, too. Fact of life. The dwarf sighed. He'd hoped to creep up on this over a period of months, maybe sort of break it to him gently, but there wasn't any time anymore. Sit down, lad, he said. Carrot sat. The thing is, he said wretchedly when the boy's big on his face was a little near his own, we found you in the woods one day. Toddling about near one of the tracks, um, those – the thing is, you see, there there are these carts, carts on fire, as you might say, and dead people, and um, extremely dead people because of bandits. It was a bad winter that winter, and there were all sorts of coming over the hills, so we took you in, of course. And then, well, it was a long winter, like I said, and your ma'am got used to you, and we never got around to asking Varneshi to make inquiries. That's, that's the long and short of it. So that's the beginning passage, and Carrot begins his journey on the way to Ankh-Morpork. And along there's there along the way there's so many funny scenes, carrot, vimes, all these characters. Jack, what are some of your funniest scenes from this book? Well, before I get to that, I want to know what happened with with those bandits and what carrot. We never find out no. what carrot's real <laughs> abilities are. He's like borderline magic almost. He's fearless and good. And maybe he's there as like the opposite of everyone else. Um, but I would like to know his story. Like, is he a real king? Is he something? And, and I think I don't know 
but if you read the whole Discworld series, maybe you could find out. I haven't done that yet, but I want to. So what I, I, first of all, everything's funny, but one of the things I keyed into was the street vendor cut. What's his name? Cut me on throat. Yeah. Cut me on throat. Dibbler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he, that guy just is selling, selling, selling no matter what. And it, even in the face of like, I'll read a quick quote. There's a dragon laying waste to the town after interactions with this guy, cut me on throat, Dibbler, Fimes, Fimes felt a sudden surge of civic pride. There had to be something right about a a citizenry, which, when faced with catastrophe, thought about selling sausages to the participants, right? So this guy totally doesn't give a crap about what's going on. He's just trying to sell whatever it is. It, whatever tragedy it is, he's there to sell something. Like maybe he would even have like a button, you know, that he could make up. Like, you know, I was there at fill in the blank tragedy and, uh, it, he was great. He was just hilarious to me. Did you catch the part at the end? Cause in the middle of the book, he talks, cut me on his throat, talks about selling, um, the dragon repellent or. Yes. Something. Yes. Yeah. And did you catch the part at the end where they had the time monks packing up the stuff for him and sending it yes. down to Atmore Park? That was so great. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little, it, that, that's one of the things I liked about the book is it has, it had its own inner Easter eggs, little throwaway lines that harkened back to another passage or another section and just a bunch of circuitous funny jokes and it reminded me in a way of arrested development which was is one of my favorite sitcoms because they were expert joke recyclers and this book recycled jokes with the best of them that's one of my favorite parts about the book too yeah the, the humor just starts building building on itself Keep playing off. It's, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Lou, Lou, how about you? Funniest scenes? I had a bunch. Like, you know, just like everybody said, like, every page, you, I just laughed the whole time, you know? And, uh, you know, laying in bed, I would, I would just laugh, <laughs> you know? And, uh, I mean, I mean, so my, one of my favorite passages was at the beginning. I hope you didn't read it. This is the very beginning. Right. It's the it's wants. No, no, it's not wants. It's brother, brother finger going to the secret door. Right. But he goes he goes to this wrong door. Right. So it starts with the figure wrapped a complex code on the dark woodwork, a tiny barred hatch open. And one suspicious eye peered out, quote, the significant owl houts. In the night, said the visitor, trying to wring the rainwater out of his robe. Yet many great lords go sadly to the masterless men, intoned a voice on the other side of the grill. Hooray, hooray, for the spinster sister's daughter, countered the dripping figure. To the axeman, all supplicants are the same height. Yet verily, the rose is within the thorn. The good mother makes bean soup for the errand boy, said the voice behind the door. There was a pause, broken only by the sound of rain. Then the visitor said, what? 
The good mother makes bean soup for the errant boy. There was another long pause. Then the damp figure said, Are you sure the ill-built tower doesn't tremble mightily at a butterfly's passage? Nope. Bean soup it is. I'm sorry. The rain hissed down relentlessly in the embarrassed silence. What about the caged whale, said the soaking visitor, trying to squeeze into what li little shelter the dread portal offered? What about it? It should know nothing of the mighty deeps, if you must know. Oh, the caged whale. You want the elusive brethren of the Ebon Knight three doors down. Who are you, then? We're the illuminated and ancient brethren of E. I thought you met over in Tranquil Street, said the damp man after a while. Yeah, yeah, well, you know how it is. The Fretwork Club have the room Tuesdays. There was a bit of a mix-up. Oh, well, thanks anyway. My pleasure. The little door slammed shut. So... <laughs> He went to the wrong door. <laughs> what, he went to the wrong door and got, like, the response, you yeah, know? He went <laughs> deep, deep into the call deep. and response. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, so, these brethren basically almost have the same exact impossible phrases you have to say except for like the last one yeah there's these secret brotherhoods that they have you know right and ridiculously similar names too <laughs> and I, I loved how it like it just seconds later in the story this brethren goes to the door he's supposed to go and terry pratchett walks us through all the places again <laughs> And there's another funny scene when he's in there. There's somebody who's inside, meaning he raises his head. You know, it's like, wait a minute, I think I'm in the wrong. Yes. Yes. <laughs> somebody got in. <laughs> right. All the, all the phrases. <laughs> somebody got out. With all those phrases, somebody got in. You know. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Million to one. It's going to be us laughing the whole time. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's how it started for me. It was just so funny from the get go. I mean, that's like, you know, page five, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Maureen, bring it on. What's your, what's your funniest scene? Uh, all funny. Like, they're just all funny. And I was going to pick the brethren as well. But I, man, I don't even know. Oh gosh. Oh, hang on. I'm just gonna look. I've got like this whole book highlighted, dude. It's really sad. So if we're gonna talk about this, then it, like I want to. If we've, if we're gonna cover everything, I want to cover the scene where the patrician and veterinary end up in the jail together. <laughs> Because yes. You mean vimes. Vimes and Veterinari and yeah. end up in the jail together. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. It's so funny. Like, like just the idea that the patrician has made himself at home. He's already built his little empire in there and made the rats, like, conquer the scorpions and snakes. The rats are now serving Veterinari his dinner. And, you know, Vimes is like... The, one of my favorites is Vimes is looking around going like, what the hell is going on? And the patrician says this from this place, he can hold off the world or something like that. And he ends up looking at the door 
and realizing that all the bolts and bars are on the inside of the door and Vimes has the realization it's like this man is so smart that he carefully considered his own demise. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's classic. And the patrician, Benanari, he's just so deadpan about it. He's not actually a funny character in the same way that, like, Mr. Burns on The Simpsons is not a funny character. But it's so funny. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, so my yes, – he, my, my, he, uh, he is Mr. Burns. He, he is Mr. Burns. My favorite is orangutan charades. <laughs> Every time they started going into charades with not a hiccup, like you're just going, you're talking to the orang, you're talking to the librarian, and you're going right into charades. And carrot, carrot is like one of the first ones that you have to do the charades, and he's he's from the dwarven lands, and he gets it right away, right into charades. The librarian doesn't have to teach him. Nobody teaches him that we're going to do one word, two word, three word, short word, any of that, and they launch right into charades. Carrot has a horrible time with it. And then later in the book, Vimes has to do charades with the orangutan, and Vimes is like an expert. Like he's been doing charades with the orangutan forever. And they get – like they Vimes figures out an entire phrase within like two lines, and they start having like actual conversations where Vimes can understand like the librarian's like three words, which are like ook, eek, and you know, a, 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 a grimace on his face. Yeah. That was great. Yeah, that was great. Okay. Those are funniest scenes. You know, Carrot was raised by dwarves, and it just had me thinking, what mythical race would I want to be raised by? You know, at first I thought elves, right? Because elves, you know, they have, they're just beautiful. They have beautiful music. They have all kinds of, you know, magic. And, I, I mean, how could you do any better than elves? And, you know, I kind of think there's some elves, you know. That maybe not, may not, but that's not where I landed. But before I get to where I really landed, which mythical race that I want to be a part of? Maureen. Josh. What mythical race would you want to be raised by? Well, I want to be raised by unicorns. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah, I love, well, I love horses. They're strong and wonderful and like, Unicorns are just like the epitome of like awesome, you know. I like it's all about unicorns for me. But there were no unicorns in the disc world, so if I have to settle, I actually think the trolls would be awesome to be raised by. It's not until later on in the disc world series that you get to know the trolls a little bit better. But there's a fun thing that goes on with the temperature and a troll's brain. Because when it's really, really hot, the trolls get really, really dumb. But when it's really, really cold, they're like all Einsteins. And and they're really, really smart. And on top of that, I actually really like rocks, oddly enough. I took a geology class in college, and it was one of the best, most interesting classes I'd ever taken. So I think it would just be fun. And for all of those Pratchett readers out there, I'm just going to say Mr. Shine, him diamond, and leave it at that. So help me out here. What's the connection between trolls and rocks? So, Oh, my God. Okay, so all of the trolls are named according to the rock that they're made out of. So if you noticed, like, later on in the book, there was um, – the, when they were reading the summoning of dragons, it was a theory written by Demalachite. And I 
it's never been confirmed, but I suspect that that is actually a troll writer because Malachite is a name of rock and detritus is the troll that we see in the book. Detritus is, is like the leftovers from stuff that eventually congeal together and will make and form like a fossil. And so all, all the trolls are named after various rocks and each of the trolls, they're named after the rock that they take after. So I thought, I, I just think it would be cool. What rock do you want to be named after? If you're raised by trolls, we're going to give you a troll name. Ah, oh, ah, oh, this is hard. This is a good question. We, we, um, we never get to pick, we don't get to pick our own name. Ah, oh, can I be Micah? Of course you can. It looks like gold, Micah. but it's flaky and worthless. <laughs> well, yikes. <laughs> Let's just say that's like a reverse self-esteem thing. Like, you know, did you keep a bullet or something? <laughs> All right. Uh, mythical race. You know, your parents somehow, you were like like Carrot. You were in this this thing happened on the road with bandits. And what mythical race do you want to come along and save you? I would say hobbits. And the reason being is they're so fun and they like to eat. I like to eat. You know, they like to cook. I like to cook. You know, they go in, the hobbits just go, they go in depth of, and you know, and they're slow, right? They're never quick. They take their time, you know, and they're very serious when it comes to, comes to food. And when I read, actually, I haven't read any Tolkien, but when I watched the movies, I was like, oh my God, I want to be a hobbit. You know, I was like, oh, they just, they sing to my soul, you know? Man, I didn't choose Hobbits, but hearing you say it, I'm going to unofficially switch my answer to Hobbits, but I'm going to give my other answer that I thought of. And I, I read the Tolkien books, and the way the, to- the Hobbits are described in the Tolkien books are exactly what you described. Who wouldn't want to be raised by Hobbits? It's a low-pressure situation. To yes, low-pressure. Yeah. yeah. And all the eating is amazing. Yes. God, hobbits. I don't know. What would it, I just don't know. Would it get? Could it get boring if you're a human and you're raised by hobbits? I don't know. You but probably, if you like cooking, you like eating, you like gardening, like smoking a you like smoking tobacco. <laughs> in a pipe. You get to I, you get to sit around and hang out with your friends. I think that's pretty sweet. Yeah, that sounds they'll, like a good time. They'll definitely kick you out once you get too big. Mm. Maybe, maybe. All right, Jack. All right. So race. Who is it? So my original one was elves, but it also feels too obvious, you know, and I'm going to go. I'm going to change things up and go with the uh, satyr, which is originally from a Greek legend and adopted by the Romans. They're the guys that had that's the male uh, animal spirit. Their counterpart would be the nymphs uh, for the women. They secluded themselves into the woodlands and mountain peaks and stuff, and they just liked. They, now I it would be they'd bring out my dark side, so we I don't actually want to be raised by them, but they are all about just dancing and having fun and partying and not saying no to themselves or any of their bestial urges. There are some major drawbacks. They are devotees of the god uh, Dionysus or Dionysus, however you pronounce that. And so there's just like a ton of drinking, which is not my scene. They 
also when they don't get their way with nymphs, they commonly engage in bestiality and that does nothing for me because their urges are so strong they can't do anything about it. But you know, they're seductor like a seductress, whatever a male version of a seductress is, luring folks into the woodlands to dive completely into their animal natures. And I think it would maybe not now at my current age and place in life, but for many years that would have suited me just fine. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, you know, I, I too immediately went to elves. The music, the beauty, probably the elves of Rivendell, like Elrond's clan. I think Lothlorien might have been a little too high for me, but you know, elves sound great. But then I thought about, you know, elves are immortal, and I am, as a human being, I would, I would just be like a flower growing by the rock or something it, that there for a moment, gone the next day. I just don't think they would take me seriously. I don't. I, I mean, I could just get, I just be wandering around the wolves or the the valley, with none of the elves really actually taking me on because I'm just. So anyway, so you'd I be building think, a lot of, you'd be making a lot of Christmas presents, though, right? Depending on the type of elf, mm, right? And uh, that group is mm, certainly going to accept you for who you are. Well, if I could help Santa make presents. That's worth um, it. Yeah. I think that's worth it. Yeah. yeah. If you're a Keebler elf, you can make cookies. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. The best. Yeah. Make, and there's so many different kinds of cookies you can make. You wouldn't when get tired I, of the cookies. When I go to elf, my first thought is Dungeons and Dragons. That's my first elf experience. And those elves are not immortal. And they can be good or bad. They are kind of like short-ish. Like I picture five, 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 four, slender, pointy ears. It depends on the race of the elf. This is when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons in 1982 or so. They they didn't have lots of races. (laughs) (laughs) What elves? And you have the high elves and the drow and yeah. Well, I know about the drow. The drow are are very dangerous. Don't (laughs) think you'd make a good drow, Josh. Nope, I don't feel drowish. Well, I'm going to go with, if I had to be an elf, um, probably I think a Santa elf would be the most interesting to me. Yeah. But that's not what I chose, even though now I'm thinking Hobbit, I'm thinking Santa elf. I don't know what that says about me, but because here's here's something (laughs) really different. I think a centaur, I think it'd be cool to be raised by a centaur or a group of centaurs. Group of centaurs. Yeah, yeah, and because they're noble, they're like they're into medicine and healing, and mm. they have, you know, they have like this nobility about them and principle. And I think question, be, question: How yeah. old were you when the centaurs took you in? Um, I would want to be a baby when the uh-huh. centaurs took me in because I think they'd be kind of scary as like a young child because they're big, they're like human, but they're horse. It's a little confusing. And then their torsos disappear into the horse body. It's just kind of creepy. So if you're a baby, are you going to feel super different and sad because all of your friends have horse bottoms and you're just there? No, no. Here's, here's, here's the joy of it. Actually. (laughs) It's that I would get to ride the centaurs. (laughs) Yes. You know, and I would be like, it would be like this, kind of connection between me I don't know, dude. and it's like if your I'm horse like, could talk yes. to you. Like when yeah, you're a your kid and you try to, to ride the family dog. <laughs> and so I'm 
picturing two dudes on a motorcycle right now, like with you <laughs> well. on, on the back of a motorcycle <laughs> with your hands on a dude's hips. That's what I got. Where, <laughs> where the motorcycle rider didn't have his shirt on. <laughs> Correct. And Correct. he's buff. I and think Fabio so, was on the cover of this book. I'm also picturing huge horse dongs and from like age you know, 17 months or whatever, when you're walking for many years, there's just donks in your face, huge horse donks. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, come on. babies are raised on farms today. They're small. There's horses. Nobody talks about that. So uh, I, that's not that's not going to persuade me away from centaurs. Some centaurs are considered to be immortal, so I might have the immortal problem again. But I see they'd be great role models, you know? And I think the bridge between centaur and human wouldn't be a big one because they're already half human. So my transition into the real world may not be quite as abrupt as carrots. Mm. Mm. And you'll be forever protected. Oh, thanks, Lou. Yes. I'd be forever. I mean, just, you know, I'd whistle or so i don't know what you do to attract a centaur sorry a centaur if i offended you by saying whistling but you know you would they would all kind of hurt and then people would like not mess with me yeah you would never be messed with mm-hmm. i just hop on the back of the centaur grab its buff naked torso <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> oh my god okay <laughs> i'm interested in what you're offering and would like to subscribe to your newsletter <laughs> Maureen, I think it's time to take a break and hear a favorite passage from you. Oh, goodness. There were so many. But I am going to read. So one of the things that I love about this book is how the joke pays off again and again and again. (laughs) And in the scenes prior, the... The men of the watch are discussing how they need a million and one chance to make sure that they can kill the dragon. (laughs) So they are trying to decrease their odds so that it could be a million and one chance to make sure that it's a certainty. (laughs) That's good. They figured that out. They figured that out. My favorite passage is the, the payoff for this. It was, oh, and, um, so Colin has his lucky arrow. He's standing on one foot, blindfolded with like things in his mouth and trying to hit like all, all the things to increase the odds. And he fires off his arrow at the dragon, hoping to hit her in its vulnerables. <laughs> <laughs> it was a million to one chance. And who was to say that somewhere in the millions of other possible universes, it might not have worked. That was the sort of thing the gods really liked. But Chance, who sometimes can overrule even the gods, has 999,999 casting votes. In this universe, for example, the arrow bounced off a scale and clattered away into oblivion. Colin stared as the dragon's pointed tail passed overhead. It missed, he mouthed. But it couldn't have missed. He stared red-eyed at the other two. It was a sodding last desperate million-to-one chance. The dragon twisted its wings, swung its huge bulk around on a pivot of air, and bore down on the roof. 
Carrot grabbed Nobby around the waist and laid a hand on Colin's shoulder. The sergeant was weeping with rage and frustration. Million to bloody one last desperate bloody chance. (laughs) The dragon flamed. It was a beautifully controlled line of plasma. It went through the roof like butter. It cut through stairways. It crackled into ancient timbers and made them twist like paper. It sliced into pipes. It punched through floor after floor like the fist of an angry god and eventually reached the big copper vat containing a thousand gallons of freshly made mature whiskey-type spirit. It burned into that, too. Fortunately, the chances of anyone surviving the exploding explosion were exactly a million to one. <laughs> and right there we know that they yeah. survived. <laughs> <laughs> and it comes back. It comes back. So funny. Yeah. When the, the joke builds on itself when later in the book – Vimes says, you know, let's be honest, the chances of a dragon the size of Errol beating something that big are a million to one. (laughs) It's the author using his own humor to foreshadow. Yeah. Oh, it's great. I I love the whole million to one. Good hang, bad hang. There's a lot of characters here that I think are good hang. Anybody disagree? Vimes, good hang? Good hang. Great hang. Good hang, hang. yeah. Yep. I hang with Vimes anytime. Carrot, uh, hang only in limited periods of time, not full time. I would love to hang out with Carrot. He's just very interesting. Um, he just he he makes it a point to know about everything, and I really would just enjoy walking around the city of Ankh-Morpork with him, hearing about the city of Ankh-Morpork. Mm, he be would a great, be a good tour guide. Good tour guide. Yeah. Yeah. So much enthusiasm. How about? Uh, Lady Ramkin. Fabulous hang. Yeah. I mean, you just want to have high tea with her. Right? I Like, high tea and then get into some trouble. You know? Ah. <laughs> what lovely foodstuffs. <laughs> and the you know, dragons. Hello, the dragons. Yes. She has dragons. Swamp dragons. Not swamp dragon. Dragons. Not drag- dragona noblesse. Yes. She has swamp dragons. But I love people that have passions like that because I find them so interesting. There was one girl named Erica in college, and her passion was oysters. And I sat one day and listened to her talk about oysters for 45 minutes, and it was enthralling. I can get behind anyone that has a good passion. Oh, yeah. We, we definitely spent some time with her swamp dragons, for sure. Yeah. Uh, how about the patrician? Good hang, bad hang? Terrible hang. I want to hear why the ter- the patrician is a terrible hang, because I really want to hang out with the patrician. Well, because his attitude towards other people and his attitude towards the whole world, you know, he thinks everybody's evil. Mm-hmm. And then, well, he thinks all the, all the powers that be are evil, and then everybody else is beneath him, right? You know, and those people who are beneath him, they need us to be evil, you know? Or sort of evil, whatever he chooses. And I just think, my God, what a terrible hang. Mm. You think he's a good hang, Marine? I do. I I find the patrician very, very interesting. And it's actually for the same reasons that you just stated, Lou. I am a very, very cynical person. (laughs) (laughs) I like stories about hope because I don't have much. (laughs) 
So I like I would enjoy hanging out with the patrician because I think he and I would agree on a lot of things. I think I want to play board games with the patrician. Mm. Yeah, I could do yeah. that. Risk or or monopoly or something very strategic. Yeah, yeah that would be good. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Just just to test my metal against somebody who like thinks only that way. Have you read the rest of the Discworld books, Josh? I have not. Okay, because the the patrician does play board games. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> okay. Themes. I got a theme for you. What do you got, Jack? So this is a hilarious book, but that hilarity is covering up something. And the thing it's covering up is that people kind of suck. And that's my theme. And I'm going to read you some some examples of of people kind of suck, and then I'll let you guys uh, go with it. So this is spoken by the dragon. You have the effrontery to be squeamish, it thought of him. But we were dragons. We were supposed to be cruel, cunning, heartless, and terrible. But this much I can tell you, you ape. And he's talking to Wants. The great face pressed even closer so that Wants was staring into the pitiless depths of his eyes. We never burned and tortured and ripped one another apart and called it morality. That's a tough one. Here's another one. Human sac- About human sacrifice. They avoided one another. So the dragon has demanded human sacrifice, as dragons are wont to do. They avoided one another's faces. This is the leaders of the guilds for fear of what they might see mirrored there. Each man thought, one of the others is bound to say something soon, some protest, then I'll murmur agreement, not actually say anything. I'm not as stupid as that, but definitely murmur very firmly so that the others will be in in no doubt that I thoroughly disapprove. Because at a time like this, it behooves all decent men to nearly stand up and be almost heard. No one said anything. The cowards thought each man. So little, you know, it's got some humor, but it's got some darkness. Can I add on to that, Jack? Yeah, yeah. Because another another one of my favorite quotes is that theme is right at the beginning of the book when the Supreme Grand Master is talking about the elucidated brethren of the Ebon Knight. Um, Mm -hmm. But incompetence with possibilities, nevertheless, let the other societies take the skilled, the hopeful, the ambitious, the self-confidence. He'd take the whining, resentful ones, the ones (laughs) with a belly full of spite and bile, the ones who knew they could make it big if only they'd been given the chance. Give him the ones in which the floods of venom and vindictiveness were dammed up behind thin walls of ineptitude and low-grade paranoia. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And that's where wants can manipulate things. And I'm going to come back to this theme and, and I'll say some stuff and I'll let you throw it out to you guys. And then Vi- this is Vimes during uh, Dragon Attack. Well, that's the ant mapork instinct, Vimes thought. Run away and then stop and see if anything interesting is going to happen to the other people. All right. And then this one. And I think this is written by the patrician or spoken. Down there, he said are people who will follow any dragon, worship any god, ignore ignore any inequity, all out of a kind of humdrum everyday badness. Not really high creative loathsomeness of some great sinners, but a sort of mass-produced darkness of the soul. Sin, you might say, 
without a trace of originality. They accept evil, not because they say yes, but because they don't say no. So that's some deep shit right there. And you can see that reflected in our society every day. And I think that in between all the jokes, Terry Pratchett's throwing some, some real punches. And, and this is the part I want to hear what you guys think. In the beginning, Vimes is in the gutter and he's complaining about the city, who is an absolute awesome character in the book, the city itself. And he's like, the city needs uh, to come into bow, bow, like, oh, what's that word? Oh, balance, right? He can barely. And then the brotherhood and the city is in balance, right? There's a quota for crimes. There's a, all this stuff that the patrician has put in place. And then the wants and the brotherhood throw the city out of balance. The, the imbalance is eventually defeated, right? And through, you know, Vimes and the swamp dragon and the ridiculousness. And then at the end, Vimes essentially reinstalls the patrician as the leader, even though he's bad, even though he is the guy from, from the Simpsons that Josh talked about earlier. And then the book ends. Balance has been restored, right? So what does Terry Pratchett think people suck? I don't know. I wonder. What do you guys think? I think he does. I think Terry Pratchett does not like people. I think he has like a base belief that there can be hope in them and that they can be good, but in mass, and I think it's explored in a lot of his books, people in mass are abhorrent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's where, I think he's saying that hundred percent. As individuals, we can be heroes, but when we are together, we are terrible. Yeah, and everyone in this story who is a hero, with the exception of Carrot, is a reluctant hero. Yes. At first, they're reluctant. Vimes, you know, has a point fairly early on when the dragon comes back, I think the second time, and he says, not in my city, you know, and he runs back down the hill from Lady Rampkin's house. And, and, and there he, that part of him that, you know, has always wanted to be alive and do, do right, um, and do his, have a role, you know, sort of gets ignited. Uh, Nobby, Sergeant Cullen, <laughs> yeah. But even in the end, they they want to pitch in. Yeah, they, and do they all step up. They yeah. all step up. Yeah. And it, it it says that as they're running toward the palace to go get wants in the end, you know, Vines has that great like inner monologue about how it, it was the run of the police officers and one man just trying to do what was right with a capital R. It's great. Yeah. So maybe this is Pratchett's call to the reader to be their better self. I I think so. And that would actually be my theme. And what I really like about Terry Pratchett in all of his books is that he uses humor as ex exactly as Jack was saying to cover up a deeper message. And, you know, some of the messages, especially later on in the city watch line get really intense. But I think that in, in particular for this one, like, the humor really masks, like what Jack was saying, it masks who we're trying to be as people. You know, what the everyman is trying to do with his life and how he's trying to get by. You know, whether the guards are sitting there going, well, at any time a group of guards goes up against one man, you know, the guards always die and we're disposable. And if you read the dedication, it's a beautiful thing. To the red shirts. Yes, to the red shirts, exactly. But like... 
the humor that he uses to cover up with like the brethren and how nasty they are and how selfish they are and how they are they're so focused on the wrongs that are being done to them that they are completely oblivious to the effect that they are going to have on the world and the humor in the sense that the supreme grand master can use to manipulate all of the to to manipulate the brethren into doing these terrible things and if the humor were not there this book would be almost a tragedy you know except not everybody dies at the end but it's the humor that makes it, it it's the humor that makes the commentary almost palatable yeah it's like covering a a rock you're about to throw at somebody with cotton candy yeah <laughs> <laughs> So perhaps Pratchett is saying people suck, but you don't have to suck. Yeah. And, you know, there is Lady Rampkin who is – sheds brightness wherever she goes. She shows up to the watch and, like, encourages them. And anytime she could sort of take the negative, cynical view of them, she puts a twist on it that's positive. Yes. Yeah. It makes, it makes everybody around her feel better. They all felt <laughs> fucked up, which is several letters of the alphabet away of how they normally felt. <laughs> um, so there, there is, there's examples of who to be and not who to be. But you know, don't be the patrician because you're just going to give in to thinking life is all about arranging it to suit yourself, and that's dark. You know, don't be a wants because you know things are going to turn against you and you're going to cause lots of problems. Maybe you can't be a carrot because he's so pure. And naive and came from dwarves, but take take to those signals around you that are encouraging you to be your better self, like like a, the, any carrots that are in your life or any lady ramkins in your life, and show up and start doing you know kind of what you were meant to be and live your life, like Detective Vimes. Love it, I love it. Or if Terry Pratchett was just really cynical and can't stand people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe both. Maybe both. Lou, uh, did you pick up on any themes that we haven't discussed? Well, I think you guys discussed it because mine was the disgruntled employee or the slacker or work ethic, you know. And I think, it, you know, the, at least the disgruntled worker was throughout the whole book. The rank, I, I loved how they described the, the, uh, the, the watch as the rank. There's vibes and the rank, the people below him, you know. Those guys were disgruntled, right? They didn't didn't want to work that hard. And it was that one scene where they survived the dragon attack. And they were like, well, I I should just go home and have a cup of drink and a plate, do dinner, you know? And then there was – and not just that, but the Brotherhood, they were all disgruntled. You know, remember the, you know, how they were competing, the, who was oppressed and who was not oppressed <laughs> in the beginning, you know? So, oh, yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, that was so funny. Like, you know? My landlady <laughs> imp- oppresses me. I've got to have some time to learn to play the tuba. <laughs> yeah. So, these guys, you know, they, you know, everybody's a little disgruntled, you know? That was my, that was yep. my, yeah. So, so my theme is actually, that I want us to focus on for a few minutes here is a combination of all your themes, the disgruntled worker, people suck, and and the humor, because I had been really puzzling over 
the commentary Pratchett is making about librarians <laughs> and orangutans. Mm-hmm. And I, what I can't figure out, because he's very quixotic about this, very mercurial about it, is is he making a commentary about how librarians should be or not be? Or is he making commentary about how he wants orangutans to be? That's deep. Uh, the Where I took that is I wish all librarians were orangutans. That's what brought up for me because I take my kids to the library and librarians are always shushing people. And I would much rather have orangutans slowly moving across wires and pipes across the ceiling for my children's entertainment. So that's kind of where I took that. I would take it as like every librarian has their own inner orangutan, where if you say the wrong thing to them, they will go ape on you. <laughs> that was a good pun. It was. Because <laughs> in the book, I if think, you if you call the I librarian should, a monkey, you're you're yeah you're I done think, with. I think an orangutan yeah, would be totally offended by that comment. <laughs> right, and librarians like they are very particular you know if you if you do something in the library very very particular i mean they seem like librarians seem like the nicest people the gentlest souls but if you do one of the very particular things then you get beat over the head it's funny how every you know librarians are like it's it's a respectable position right but with pratchett every respectable person was you know, put down a little bit, you know, as LeBrun was orangutan. Uh, Lady Ramkin was a little messy, you know, and her friends were like, you know, dirty, you know. And so like all these, you know, like the nobles were not quite, you know, they were like human, humanish, you know, they weren't regal. And- so, so librarians here kind of get don't come out of this book being a little unscathed. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just keep thinking about how long orangutan arms are oh. and how if you were a library in orangutan, you could, you could just stay put and probably stock the shelves from several feet away, either side of you left and right without even having to get up and upside down. And I just have to throw in mm. one more pun. The longest arm of the law. Ah. <laughs> that was so beautiful when he reaches through the, the bars to grab vimes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shout out to all librarians out there because I, too, bring my kids to the library. And let's just say there are actually, to be fair to them, some very tolerant librarians. Oh, show. All right. Well, you know, it's that time in the podcast for us to take a break. So let's have a word from our sponsor for Episode 6. And when we return, we'll do Hollywood. This episode is brought to you by Bindercrantz. Bindercrantz, all-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Bindercrantz is crafted especially for Sasquatches and Bigfoot's thick Yeti coat. Made with organic shea butter, pine oil, Himalayan sea salt, and a proprietary blend of herbs, this double-duty wash leaves hair with a silky soft finish you will want to run your fingers through. Gang, dropping a pot every two weeks is time-consuming. We get to read these great books, which is awesome, but it takes a lot of time. We have to prepare a point of view, record the pod, think about which actors we would want to play different roles, 
Sometimes we have to record the pod more than once. We have to edit it. It's a lot of work. Without the generosity of our sponsors, we'd struggle to make it happen. Fortunately for us, we have the best sponsors, like Bindercrantz. We're proud to tell our Sasquatch and Bigfoot listeners about Bindercrantz. Bindercrantz, the all-in-one shampoo and conditioner of choice for discerning Sasquatches and Bigfoots. It's non-irritating formula, gentle, deep cleaning. It has no harsh chemicals or dyes. Oh, and best of all, it's soluble in, in the frigid waters of the Pacific Northwest and the Himalayas. So it lathers up really well and rinses out really easy in their natural habitats. Yeti hair is known for its immense intertwisted knots, labyrinthine tangles, and impossible burrs. My Bigfoot friends tell me Bindercrantz can handle all of that and a lot more. Bindercrantz does wonders on white, black, gray, tan, and dark brown hair. It's great for removing manure, mud, blood, and small animal bones from your fur. They wanted us to tell you that they have three new products to add to their collection. Let's see. They're called Everest, Cascadia, and Chupacabra. So I'm going to tell you really quick about each one. Everest is a subtle blend of horse, beet juice, and barn owl. It's perfect for everyday use. Cascadia is for when you're getting ready to hibernate. It's made with chamomile, fat guano, and leather-scented shampoo. It will help you relax into a season-long slumber. And then this one sounds really interesting. Chupacabra. It's perfect for mating season. Make your markings pop while turning your pheromones up to 11. Cinnamon oil, nutmeg, and allspice with notes of cat piss target the sexual aggressive receptors in the Yeti brain. I did not know that. Lather up with Chupacabra for a mating season you won't soon forget. Go with Bindercrantz for the best all-in-one shampoo and conditioner, especially crafted for our Sasquatch and Bigfoot listeners. Find them on the web. Right now, our listeners can get up to 20% off on their next purchase by going to www.booksfromearth.com backslash clean. That's C-L-E-A-N, clean. And enter our code at checkout. That's BFE for 20% off on their next purchase of Bindercrantz All-in-One Shampoo and Conditioner. Bindercrantz, the all-in-one shampoo and conditioner of choice for discerning Sasquatches and Bigfoots. Now, back to the pod. Hollywood! Hollywood! Here we are. We are casting directors, producers, whoever we want to be in Hollywood, and we've got to find people to fill the roles because we're going to bring this book to the screen. I actually struggled to find folks to call in for Carrot, so can you guys help me out? Who can we call in? I have two people. I Excellent. Have Whoa, good, good, good. I was feeling desperate. What do we got? You know, the Felt Brothers, who were what, any one of them, who was, they were, they were the twins in Harry Potter. Ah. They had redhead, you know? Yeah. But, but Carrot is also six foot six. He's a t- very tall human or dwarf. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's where I struggled was somebody who was really tall and buff and would have this demeanor of character. Well, there's, there's, character. There's, there's really one guy who showed, you know, who's pretty funny is uh, the guy, Christoph Hivju from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Lou, he's, tapping it, dropping this bucket down sorry, the well of Game of Thrones. Sorry, guys. He's is pretty that funny. 
yeah, he's pretty funny. For sure. I got Chris Hemsworth. Oh, Hemsworth. That was one of my favorites. Can't go wrong with him. He can be a good airhead like Ghostbusters. Oh, that's right, airhead. Ghostbusters. Yeah, he yeah, was totally. airhead. And he did he did good in Thor. He's good with humor. He did great in the last Thor movie. Yes. Yeah, let's Ragnarok. not do any spoilers about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My okay. pick was um, also from the Harry Potter universe. I picked Eddie Redmayne, who's playing Newt Scamander, and he's been in a couple other things. Um, he was the the really smart guy, Stephen Hawking. And I just I, – I love him. I think he's very handsome. I think that he is very well built, and I think that he can also play a very innocent man very, very well. So he would be my pick, and he's also a redhead, so he would be my pick for Carrot. All right, so we, we've got a few people to bring in. I, I'm relieved about that because I was feeling desperate. How about for the patrician? I Anybody? Got I got one. All right, who do you want to call in? Idris Alba. Ooh, ah. yes. Have you guys uh, – what is that British show that he does? Luther. He's, he's so dark. He's so good. Oh, you know, my God. He's, he's dark. He's dry. He's got a little okay. bit of humor. Not much. Mm-hmm. I'll check know, it out. I watched the first episode, and that was it. I, I know. Me too. Me too. I oh, watched I watched the first episode. Four. It was great. I watched the first episode, and I was like, I don't know. But I watched it, and then that's what he reminded me of. I want to take it in a different direction. Uh, how about Bill Murray? Oh, gosh. Oh, wow. Because the Patrician does does it, it, it do, it's just sort of ineffable, and he, he kind of feels like he's kind of above it all, in a, a way. cut above, yeah. A cut mm-hmm. above, and You're right. he just pops up in the castle to torment Wants, and I get to see Bill Murray kind of just showing up in the different rooms at the end of the book, torturing wants and just, just you know, sighing with that just Mona sighing. Lisa sci- smile. <laughs> Has he done a British accent? I don't know if he's done a British accent, but you know, he could, we'll have to try it. Idris Elba, I think has a natural British accent. He might even be, I don't know. Is he British? I don't know, but yes, he's British. He's, he's going to crush the accent. So if Bill Murray can hang in there, you know, I could buy oh, it. does he have to have a British accent? I mean, no. from Britain, and I'm kind of imagining everybody speak with a British accent too. Why are we even thinking that? <laughs> because because Terry Pratchett is so in, like he's like an English icon. You know, yes. I I went I went British casting too. for that purpose. Okay, but let's give Bill a chance. What do you say? Yeah, Anybody oh, else? Yeah, I'll give Bill a I'll chance. Give, her, we'll give, we'll give him a read at least. Yeah. <laughs> He would be he would be hilarious as the patrician. Yes. Um, I went more toward the intimidating route, and and my choice for that would be Benedict Cumberbatch. Ooh. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not not as funny. Not as he funny. Probably, right. Very intimidating, and like because there's that one scene where the guy is pointing at the patrician and. He talks about maybe it was the point, <laughs> you know, it's a good way to lose a finger. <laughs> OK, yeah, let's bring them all in. Let's bring them all in. We'll give them a chance. Yep. Uh, Vimes, the most well, I think one of the most enjoyable characters in the book. Kurt Anybody? Russell. Ooh, That's your Kurt Russell play. OK, that's my Kurt Russell play. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. Do you guys yeah. watch Mid- Midsummer Murders? I do. I love that show. I love show. that show. 
would uh uh Chief Chief Inspector Barnaby? Yes. Wouldn't he be the perfect Vimes? Good. Well, I think my Vimes is the perfect Vimes, but that is a good choice. That's a good choice, right? That is a good choice. Yes. Yeah, it's a great murder. It's it's slow, but it's it's just a it will keep you engaged. Uh, murder mystery, Midsummer's mm-hmm. so good. British, it's British. Right? Who do you got, Maureen? Okay, I'm gonna say my trio because I like they go together in my head. So I would have. Sadly, it's already been done, so we couldn't really do it again. But I would have uh, Vimes as Simon Pegg, Colin as Nick Frost, so we get the Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, like, hot fuzz redo. And then bring in Tom Brook, who the, – the thing that I know him from is Sherlock, and he have him as Corporal Nobby Nobs because I think that the three of them would play off each other very well, and throwing Eddie Redmayne into that mix would just be perfect in my head. You've, you've thought this through. Now, do we, have to, do we have to take Loved off Loved Hot Fuzz. Loved Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz was so funny. Uh, okay, so I didn't have anybody for Vimes, but to challenge the triumvirate that uh, Maureen brought through, I would just for Nobby, I, wanna, I want to bring in somebody we've seen here on both TV and in movies. His, he's DJ Squalls. He is the kind of skinny guy with a small head and big ears. He was in um, Z Nation. He played the guy who was like behind the computers at that base. Um, he was in one of – he's been in a few movies. As soon as you saw him, you would recognize him. He just doesn't have a very recognizable name. Um, but anyway. What's a good pick? He just looks like a Navi. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know who I, I picked was Mr. Bean. Oh, Mr. Bean. Sure. sure. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. I've heard him talk, so I think he'd be a great Nobby. He's also a fabulous comedian. Yes. Yeah. Mm, good point. By the way, did I say DJ Squalls or DJ Qualls? You said Squalls. But it's, <laughs> it's DJ Qualls. Sorry, DJ. It's DJ Qualls. So now you all know who I'm talking about. Just kidding. Yes. He was in The Man in High Castle. Um, he was in Fargo. He, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. He'd be good. Cool. All right. I think he was in Breaking Bad, too. For He pretended to be – he was an undercover cop in, like, season two, one episode. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's he's a deep he's, cut right there, Jack. <laughs> yeah, it was a deep cut. <laughs> Anybody else that we should cast? Lady Ramkin? I, I want to see I, Catherine Tate as Lady Ramkin. She was Donna Noble on Doctor Who. All right, I, for Lady Ramkin, I've got Stifler's mom from the American Pie <laughs> <Time> movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jennifer Coolidge, I love her. Yeah, yeah. Most recently, she was in um, Two Broke Girls, but she's been in a lot of stuff, and uh, she's great. Yeah, she both love soup. <laughs> Catherine Tate is hilarious though too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anybody else we want to cast? Oh, I, I've got somebody for for once. Oh. I do. Got? Um, so I was thinking maybe uh, Jared Harris. He was in Mad Men. Um, he played um, just one of the ad guys they brought on. I won't say how he how his life ended, but it was kind of graphic on the show. So I don't want to spoil it too much. Although I just. Anyway, <laughs> was he the British, the British guy? Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay, so he's also in Sherlock Holmes with with uh, he was the bad guy in Sherlock Holmes with uh, Iron Man. Yes, yes, that guy, that guy. Yeah, yeah, and he's in that Chernobyl movie that uh, or show. Okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, limited series that's coming out, I think, on HBO. And he he was in one of the superhero movies as a bad guy too. I forget. Yeah, he's a legit actor. He's yeah, good. and he's good at being bad. He'd be a great once. Um, should we bring Bob Newhart back? Oh God. To be Carrot's dad. Aww, yes. that would yes. be so sweet. But is, is that too much of a callback to Elf? I don't know if it. Bob Newhart was just so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he Will was. Ferrell's character. It feels like, you know, bring him back. Everybody will remember Elf. And, yeah. you know, they'll be like, Bob's doing it again. I do want to add one option for Lupine Wants. Bring it on. Okay. Wallace Shawn from The Princess Bride, who is the inconceivable guy. Ooh. Inconceivable. <laughs> <laughs> never get involved in a land war in Asia <laughs> but only slightly lesser well known so, yeah. a want oh yeah and we gotta bring wants. him in gotta bring him in <laughs> yeah gotta bring him in nice okay movie or TV series movie movie TV yeah. series yeah TV series yeah you can bring a limited a limited run though like a six episode one yeah 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 BBC you know BBC did a radio BBC did a radio um, in 1993, I think it was. Sounds uh, very, very Series, four-part series. It was only four parts. So if we did TV, would that be better because we could do more of this story arc that is covered in the other Discworld books? So that is – that's the thing is if we do TV, you can get farther along in the books. But the other part of that is that – the mold has kind of been broken with Avengers, and now you can kind of do what you did in TV in mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. So I think either way, it it would be a good choice. So we could do and movies could... with with kind of concurrent TV series, maybe. Ooh, I think that's what they're going to do with the Patrick Rothfuss books. Well, <laughs> Just... <laughs> I want to ask Mark and know what that reference is. <laughs> Okay, so you guys have not read Name of the Wind? Mm-mm. Okay, mm-hmm. I know what I'm going to bring to the podcast. <laughs> All right. Yay, I can't wait. Let's do it. Sounds good. Okay, do we need to make this rated R, or can we get away with PG-13? PG-13. PG-13. I think, I think we could get away with PG, even. Like, this could be a family fun time movie. We can probably be. dial it down it to PG. Be. Yeah, because you're not going to show the guy get burned. By the dragon. You don't have to show it, right? No. So, no. yeah, I, you could go peachy. I know, I think some of the dark themes may beg to be a little bit scary for PG, but let's see what we can do. Okay, everybody, it's that time of the podcast. Tell me what makes this book special. Maureen. This book is so special to me because I love the character arcs. I love that the entire character arc of... Errol the dragon ends in a fart joke. The humor is so fabulous and it ends on a note of hope for the hu- for humankind. As deeply cynical as this book is, it ends on a beautiful note for hu- of hope for humankind. Jack. So for me, what makes the book special is when I have gone through a hard time in my life and one of the ways that I can help other people if they're in a hard time is through humor. 
And this book, that's the, that's what this book is. It's everybody's having a hard time and more poor, whatever the town is. I can't, I, even when I read it, the book, I'd be like MP in my mind, but it's comedy getting you through a tough time. Indeed. You know, this, what this made this book special for me is that I typically don't go for satire or books that aren't, don't have, I don't know, kind of a serious feel to them. I think I like books that are more dramatic, more high, you know, wars and battles and serious and that kind of thing. And reading this book at first was like, oh no, this is going to be just a jokester kind of thing. And I'm not going to probably engage in, with it as much as I'd like to. But as the book went on and the themes and stuff that we, we you know, came to the surface and I began to like the characters and I saw it was much more than just a, a comedy satire. I, it, it was sort of like a, I think it's a gateway book for me, if you know what I mean. And I'm going to be able to enjoy this genre. Whereas before I, I had thought that it was probably not accessible by me. Lou. Oh, that's a good thing, Josh. I love this book because for me, it had a nostalgic feel to it. And because, you know, I come from a British colony. So I was exposed to a lot of British humor and comedy. And it reminded me of watching Monty Python, Holy Grail, or my favorite, which is The Life of Brian, where you just laugh so hard, you know, that you just just laugh, you know, at these jokes that are just so, you know, these boisterous jokes, you know, and at every page, it was just it was just so funny to me. But well, we've enjoyed this book. And that brings to an end episode six featuring Guards, Guards by Terry Pratchett. We'd like to thank Bender Krantz, whose generous funding made this episode possible. All in one shampoo and conditioner for the discerning Bigfoot. You'll want to run your fingers through it. You can find more information about Bender Krantz at booksfromearth.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, rate us, or visit our website, booksfromearth.com. Earth makes great books. Come relive them with us. So long, and until next time, this is Josh, Maureen, Jack, and Lou, signing off. Jack, uh, any funniest scenes? You're not going to accept my my uh, cut me throat. Oh, sorry, I forgot. All right, we'll cut that out. Lou, can you get come back to me for a second? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>